pray. God, you are the God of the universe. You're the, the Almighty One, the Holy One, the Eternal One, the One who provides, the, who protects, who knows everything about us. And God, you are greater than any other thing on earth. God, you're greater than our struggles, greater than our weakness, you're greater than our lack of faith. God, you're greater than everything. We thank you so much that we can worship this morning, that we can think about your nature that we can see life through the right lens, through your lens, rather than just through the lens of our circumstances. God, thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Oh. How is everyone today? It was a late night last night. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, we are so glad you're here. Um, John and Elizabeth, are you guys here? John and Elizabeth Hitchens? Um, I had friends that, that uh, came up for the game last night. Um, the parents of Brutus Buckeye. What do you know about that? And, and the closest hotel they could get was in Ann Arbor, of all places. Ohio State fans staying in Ann Arbor. I don't know about that. Um, and they were going to try and come to church. But I said, you know, I don't think you understand that Ann Arbor, I don't have the map going yet. But um, anyway, they're not here. It was, it was bright. It's bright this morning, so, you know, yeah. <laughs> hey, um, we're going we're gonna to take up the offering. One of the things about being at the, at the stadium last night that was incredible was, when, when, you know, when you're around a whole lot of people, 75,000 people, whatever it was, 78,000, and you think about the amount of money that gets spent in order to be at the event, and then at the event, and before the event with the whole tailgating thing, it's an incredibly crazy amount of money. Why is it that people are so willing to do that? It's because they believe in the team. They believe in the experience. They believe in um, that, that it all matters. And, you know, the really cool thing is with all the, with all the fun stuff, there is no eternal significance to football. That pains me to say. Um, you know, but <laughs> yeah, there you go. There's, there's not. And, um, and what, we've, what we're doing right now in giving to the kingdom is an incredibly neat opportunity um, to let God's kingdom go forward in ways that matter to change lives for eternity. So uh, thanks for giving. Uh, I want to do something before I jump into the message that... that um, it happens at this time of year. This next Tuesday is Veterans Day. And um, as a kid, it was kind of like Veterans Day. We don't even get school off for that. You know, what's that about? Um, as I've grown older, my appreciation for Veterans Day has grown tremendously. 
because in our veterans, in our military veterans, there is this model for us, real practical life people that show us what Jesus looks like, that show us what Jesus did for us. And being willing to put their life on the line, being willing to die so that others can live, being willing to sacrifice in a tremendous way, to give their all so that others could, could, um, could, could live, could experience that. And so if, if you're active duty or a veteran in Army, Air Force, um, Navy, Marines, Coast Guard, would you stand right now? And um, can we just express our appreciation to you? Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Um, we are grateful. We are grateful. Oh, and I, I want to do just a little activity to uh, start the message today. And I need four volunteers that are about five foot ten inches tall. All right, somewhere in there, 5'10", 5'11". I need some volunteers. Come on, don't make me call you out. Oh, we got one. All right, we got two. 5'10", 5'11", somewhere in there. Come on, come on. Oh, we got three. All right, we need one more. Got to have one more. All right, Jeff, good. Good, good, good. Let me introduce you. You are whom? Casey. Casey what? Casey Schlecks. Everybody say, hey, Casey. Hey, good, good, good. Who are you? This is Eric Branch. Everybody say, hey, Eric. Casey and Eric. Who are you? I'm Jeff Urban. Jeff is Jeff Urban. Um, everybody say, hey, Jeff. Good. Glad you're here. And? Philip Barham. Philip Barham. Everybody say, hey, Phil. Philip. Okay, you guys sit down. I need to ask you a question. As we start, do you trust me? Oh, you know what? You need to put the chair back kind of where it was. <laughs> do you guys trust me? No. Yeah. Nope. We, <laughs> we got a couple of no's. Oh, it's still in there. I need you to do a kind of left face. Move your knees to the left, each of you. Yeah, and sit on the chair sideways. I need you to scoot the chairs in a little bit. All right. There we go. Uh, yeah, Eric, come down this way just a little bit, and you come down this way, Philip. All right, and on the count of three, I want you to lay down backwards. Put your feet underneath you. Scoot your feet in tight. Yep, good. Good, 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 good. Put your knees together. <laughs> he asked if he needs a waiver. Okay, on the count of three, you guys lay down. One, two, three. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Sit back up. Sit back up. Square yourselves up a little bit more. There you go. There you go. Turn a little bit more, Philip. That way. There you go. Okay. One, two, three. Lay down again. Now, do you trust me? All right. Sometimes... When we're called to follow Jesus, it looks really, really crazy. Do you trust me? Can you lift your bottom up a little bit? <laughs> Here we go. Can you, can you lift your bottom up there a little bit? <laughs> I told you I didn't 
<laughs> Hang in there. Well, oh, well, raise your. Ra there you go. There you go. Hang in there. All right, here we go. The no hands, yeah. Okay, now on the count of three, here, Jeff, you come up first. Up. Oh! Give him a round of applause. Thank you, guys, Casey. The ending was a little smoother first service with high school kids. You know, sometimes following Jesus is this adventure in trust, isn't it? You never know where, where, where you're going to go, what it's going to look like. Sometimes things that seem impossible, Jesus comes through and does in amazing ways. If you have your Bibles, take, take them out, turn to Mark chapter 6. We've been working through the book of Mark, particularly the first part of Jesus' ministry, um, in a series we've called Life at the Lake. Next week, that series is going to come to a conclusion, and we're going to kind of wrap everything together, combination of all of those messages come down to really one point that we're going to get to next week. Really cool thing. Hope you'll be here for that. So... Um, if you remember, in the last couple weeks, we've been talking about what happened. Jesus commissions the 12 and, and says to them, go out and do what you've seen me do. Teach. Heal people supernaturally. Cast out demons supernaturally. Do what you've seen me do. And they go out and they do what Jesus did by the power of God. They put into place everything that they've experienced. Incredible stuff happens. They're on top of the world when they come back together to spend time with Jesus. They've spent themselves so much so that they, that they haven't had a chance to eat. They're, they're hungry. Jesus says, hey, we're going to escape. We're going to go to this other side of the lake. And we'll be able to spend some time there and debrief and, and celebrate and talk about what God's been doing. Only problem is when they get to the other side of the lake, all the people see where they've been going and they land there. And if you remember last week, what did the scripture say was Jesus' response to this group of people, probably 15, 20,000 people that were there on the shore when he arrived? It said that Jesus had what? Compassion on them. He saw their need and he responded to it because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus put on hold his plans so that he could... Um, Minister with compassion to this massive group of people. So Jesus begins to teach. And he begins to heal and do what God had called him to do. And morning becomes afternoon, becomes late afternoon, becomes early evening. The day is spent. And the disciples at this point have been thinking, we're going to have time with Jesus. And it hasn't happened because Jesus has been doing ministry. And I think the disciples were at that point, thinking, let's get done with this so we can do what we came to do in coming over here. And Jesus, and so they go to Jesus and say, you've got to send the people home. They haven't had anything to eat. There's all these people. There's not enough food. And Jesus says, you find them food. And puts the responsibility back on them. Ultimately, Andrew finds this boy with five barley loaves and two fish. And Jesus supernaturally transforms five loaves, and two fish 
into food for 20,000 people that fills them to the point that, that they're stuffed, that, they're, that they've eaten all they can eat and more, of food that God supernaturally provided. What a, what a cool, incredible thing. And then what happens? Let's, uh, let's read in Mark chapter 6. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get in the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, where he, while he dismissed the crowd. After he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. When the evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Walking on the sea. Walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, don't be afraid. He got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. They were utterly astounded, for they didn't understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. You know, when you go back to the beginning of that and, and think, okay, Jesus has fed all these people, probably 20,000 people or potentially more. And it's the end of the day. What's the response of that crowd? If you were there that day and, and you see Jesus teach, you listen to him teach, you see him heal people, that would have happened there. You're out in the middle of the country with nothing around you're worn out and you're tired and Jesus says, hey, sit down in groups of 50 and 100 and you do that and all of a sudden this food starts coming that tastes like nothing you've ever had before. Fish better than you've ever had fish. Bread better than you've ever had bread. And it just keeps coming until you eat your fill. What's the response of the people? They're going crazy. John 6 says this, when the people saw the sign that he had done, that he had fed the 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 multitude, they said, this is indeed the prophet who's come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Understand that when this passage starts, Jesus knew what the disciples needed and he knew what they didn't need. Jesus understood that the disciples had experienced this incredible sense of, of being used by God to heal, to cast out demons, to teach. That they had experienced that before they had ever got to the feeding of the 5,000. And that the disciples had been a part of that process. They had set the people down in the groups. They had passed out the baskets. It may have happened supernaturally at their hands. Jesus knew what they needed and what they didn't need. And they didn't need a crowd saying, man, this is cool, let's make him king. Because the disciples would have been at a vulnerable place where that would have made perfect sense to them. Jesus knew what they needed. And he knew what they didn't need. And what they needed was time away to really begin to understand who Jesus is. The same thing is true for you and me. Do we trust Jesus to know what we need and what we don't need? 
What was it the disciples really needed? They needed to understand who Jesus was. They needed to understand that Jesus has the ability to create something out of nothing. That Jesus has the ability, we've read about it just now, to condense molecules in water to the point to the point that they're solid enough that he could walk on the top of the water. Either that, or Jesus has the ability to suspend the law of gravity so that he could walk across the top of water. The disciples didn't really understand yet. They didn't get it yet that Jesus was who he is. The question for us is, do we really understand who Jesus is? Do we really get that? Verse 46 says, And after he had taken leave of them, after Jesus had sent the disciples away out on the water, he went up on the mountain to pray. Jesus sent the disciples away so that he could be alone and pray. If you read back into chapter 5 and earlier in chapter 6, understand that Jesus was going away so that he could spend time away from the people, away from ministry, so that he could be replenished by time alone with his Father. As you read on and we begin to explain that, how much time Jesus spent there, understand that he knew that that's what he needed. He needed that time. Why was that? I I mentioned last week, for this series and reading through this, I, I think that we miss the impact of the death of John the Baptist on Jesus. I think we, we just kind of gloss over the fact that his cousin was beheaded. His cousin who understood who he was far bef- before anyone else did was dead. And Jesus grieved that. He needed some time alone to process that. Uh, I, think, I think when Jesus retreated to the mountain, he was, I think he was probably sad that the that all of the people there didn't get who he was. I think think that it grieved him to think, boy, their response to all this food was really cool, but they missed me in the process. They missed what I came to do. It wasn't to feed them. It It wasn't just to heal their physical bodies. It was to reconcile them, to bring them back into the right kind of relationship with God. We learn a little bit later that Jesus was probably praying on the, on the mountaintop somewhere between six and eight hours. I don't know about you, but for most of us, we think, man, if I'm going to pray for an hour, that's like, that's a really long, how, how did Jesus do that six or eight hours? Take a step back and just think about the process of communication that happens when you're with people that you love. I, um, it made me think back to the time that Deb and I first met each other. We, I, we went to Cincinnati Christian University, and I was in a group that sang on the weekends uh, in a male quartet. Deb played the piano for us, and, um, and we had a chance to go and travel each weekend. We'd hop in the station wagon on Friday afternoon, head off somewhere to a church in Pennsylvania or Michigan or Illinois or Kentucky or Tennessee or Ohio, Indiana, and every weekend, we'd leave on Friday, we'd get back late, late, late Sunday night. Most of our trips were three, four, five, six, eight hours to go to churches where we would sing. 
And I, Deb and I didn't really know each other that well. And in those car rides, we began to talk. Talk about what was going on in our lives. Talk about our classes. Talk about um, things that we cared about. Talk about people that we knew. Talk about our values. Talk about what, um, what was making a difference in our lives. And those hours flew by in the car because of our ability to communicate with each other. When, when we were first getting to know each other, we had one level of conversation, you know, a whole lot of information and just having fun together. But as the year went on, as our relationship deepened, those trips in the car involved completely different kinds of conversations, different levels of conversation. Jesus praying with his father six or eight hours was not a difficult thing for him at all. He was just bearing his soul. He was listening for God to give him direction. I think that Jesus was hurting in that time, and he needed time alone with the Father. Verse 47 says, When evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. He saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. Fourth watch of the night. One of the ways that they told time was by watches through the evening. First watch was from 6 to 9 p.m. Second watch was from 9 p.m. to midnight. Third watch was from midnight to 3 a.m. The fourth watch was from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. So the context of what time it is, it's somewhere between 3 and 6 in the morning. Jesus had been praying all night. The disciples have been rowing all night. Incredible when you, when you begin to, to think about that. Um, you know, I, do you ever wonder, was it a miracle that Jesus could see the disciples? It's the middle of the night, and they're a long way away, three or four miles, Scripture says. Um, middle of the night. And, and in my mind, I've always pictured, you know, this episode, Jesus walking on the water with thunder and lightning and rain. I, I watch some of the videos of some of the movies and stuff. That's kind of the way it's pictured, but that's actually not what the scripture says. It says that they, Mark says, they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. The wind was creating the experience. John 6 says the sea was rough because a strong wind was blowing. Matthew 14 says a long way from the land, that, that the disciples were a long way from the land beaten by the waves. Is it possible that there was a full moon and not many clouds but a front coming through and the wind that was coming with ahead of that front disturbed the lake, w was making it a mess, and Jesus from his spot on the, on the mountainside could look down into the valley, down onto the lake, and see the disciples struggling out there? I think that's possible. In that case, it probably wasn't a miracle. But it's also possible that it could have been a massive cloud bank as two fronts collided. The wind was going crazy. The storm was a mess. It's the middle of the night. And Jesus, by the power of God, supernaturally had the ability to see what was going on out there. We don't know either way. But Jesus recognized what was happening and that they were in trouble. End of verse 48 says, He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they saw him and were terrified. Think about the state of the disciples at this point. They've left somewhere in the evening for this journey that's supposed to go three or four miles. And they've been rowing 
for six or eight hours. I don't know if you exercise a lot or not, but even if you do, think about that. I, I play racquetball five days a week at 5.30 in the morning. Love it. Just have a great time doing that. Friday, I decided I, I haven't run in a long time, and so after I played racquetball, I ran. And I ran for 30 minutes. Do you know how long 30 minutes is running? <laughs> it's a long time. It's exhausting. Think about the disciples. Fishermen, many or most of them, out on the water, they could row with the best of them. But when an hour becomes two hours, becomes four hours, becomes six hours, becomes eight hours. Think about the fatigue that they were experiencing in the midst of this wind. The disciples aren't making any progress. And all of a sudden, they see someone begin to come across the lake on the water. Understand that they weren't scared of the storm, but they were terrified seeing someone on the water. For me, when I... When I put myself into that scene, I think, you know, is this a little bit like Scooby-Doo where there's this ghost, you know, that appears and does that kind of thing? Um, It wasn't that at all. The disciples, the disciples had been used, they had seen Jesus cast out demons. Just a few weeks ago, we talked about Jesus casting the demon out of the gathering demoniac, the, the demons. You know, this guy that chains couldn't hold, that, was, that, that lived in the tombs, was running around naked. Jesus casts the demon out, and 2,000 pigs go down the hill, over a cliff, into the water. Jesus had given the disciples the ability to cast out demons themselves. They had done that. They had seen Jesus heal, and they had healed Understand that they were living in a world where the supernatural was happening all around them all the time. And so for them to think a ghost was on the water was not a step out of crazy land. They, they, were, they were living in a world where they were seeing the supernatural. And they were terrified by that. When we're in the midst of a storm doesn't matter what kind of storm it is. When we're in the midst of a storm, anything can frighten us. Even something that's safe. Think about that for a second. When we're in the midst of a storm, anything can frighten us. Even if that thing is safe and rescued. Jesus came to them in the midst of the storm. Immediately, Scripture says, Mark says, immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart. It is I. Don't be afraid. Two things I think happened in that scene, in that instance. They heard the voice of Jesus and recognized it. What an incredible thing to hear that voice and to in in an instant have the sense of everything's going to be okay. This is the guy who calmed the storm with a word. They hear his voice. And Jesus says, It is I. Take courage. Don't be afraid. I think when they heard the words, it is I, it it connected for them back to Moses asking God, you know, who do I say is sending me? And God saying, I am that I am. Jesus said, 
it is I. Take courage. Don't be afraid. This morning, if you're in the midst of a storm, if, if you're at that place that you think, you know what, I don't think I can go on any longer in my marriage. I don't have any idea how I'm going to be able to pay my bills. I don't have any idea how I'm going to be able to survive the relational carnage I'm in the midst of. Listen to the voice of Jesus saying, don't be afraid. It's I. Take courage. He got in the boat with them and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded. For they didn't understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Jesus hops in the boat. John tells us that immediately they're at the other, at the other shore. And it's a, it's a crazy thing. There are different kind of responses that come from the different writers. Um, we'll look at that a little bit later. And, and you'll see not a contradiction, but three different perspectives for three different reasons. John's trying to, John's trying to communicate that Jesus is Messiah, that he is the Son of God. So John says, you know what? As soon as Jesus hops in the boat, they're on the other side. Wow, done deal. Mark says, uh, uh, Mark's source is Peter, and I think Peter downplayed himself. It's interesting that Mark doesn't tell the story of Peter. We're going to get there in just a second. But um, as with Peter as a source, Mark says, you know what? We didn't get it at all. We missed completely understanding what this was about. Our hearts were hard in the process. And Matthew says, those who were in the boat worshipped him and said, surely this is the Son of God. Three different perspectives of the, of the same end. You know, when you read through the, the, the Mark account, it does really feel like something's missing, doesn't it? It's like, where's Peter walking on the water? What's that about? Go to Matthew chapter uh, 14. And, um, and let's read that together. Matthew 14, verse 22. Immediately he made the disciples, immediately after feeding the 5,000, he made the disciples get in the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. In the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear like little girls. <laughs> Immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. 
You know, let me, let me just spin through a couple of things I think that come out in that Matthew account when we think about Peter walking on the water. Peter had a combination of both faith and fear, if you think about it. And Peter said, Jesus, if it's you, tell me to come. And he did. Incredible faith. None of the other 12 got out of the boat. Peter walks on the water to Jesus. The only person besides Jesus who's ever done that in history. He walks on the water to Jesus. But as he's out in the water, all of a sudden, he begins to look around. Matthew says he saw the wind. You know, you can't see wind, um, but you can sure see the effects of wind. You can see the carnage of wind. You could see the waves. He could see stuff blowing around. And when he took his eyes off Jesus... All of a sudden, he became terrified, began to sink. Isn't that the story of our life? Combination of faith and fear. We live there. We're not alone in that. Understand that in that time, in those times of faith, Jesus says, come, follow me. And in those times of fear, when we say, Lord, save me, that he's ready to do that. If I can give you a word of encouragement this morning, it's this. Know that it's okay to cry out to Jesus when you're in trouble. For many of us, for many people in the world around us, there's this sense of, you know what? I can't cry out to God. I don't deserve it. I've turned my back on God so many times. Yes, I'm in a mess. I deserve it. God's not going to respond. Yeah, he is. Peter messed up over and over again and said, Lord, save me. Jesus was there to rescue him. The cause of Peter's fear was that he took his eyes off Jesus. The effect of Peter's fear was that he began to sink. What, what was Peter's reaction to his fear? He cried out to Jesus and, and Jesus saved him. You know, there's, there's one other sentence in there that just, it makes me think all the time. So much of Scripture, I wish I could understand the inflection of Jesus' voice when he said certain things. When, when Jesus says to Peter, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? What was his inflection? I think when we begin to read through the lines and make sense of that, it says a lot about our view of God. For some of us, I think we read that and we think that Jesus said, you stupid little boy, why did you doubt? Because our perspective of God is that God is sitting up there with his arms crossed saying, come on. I think that's the picture of God. For some of us, I think that we hear this disciplining God spanking Peter, saying, Peter, what's the matter with you? Why did you doubt? Come on, get with the program. That's not the picture of God. That's not the picture of Jesus. I think by his response, I, I think that Jesus said, you of little faith, there's so much more that you don't even have any idea about. Why did you doubt? Haven't you seen me respond to you in times of crisis before? 
that there is this compassionate God who wants the best for us over and over and over again, who wants to help us take one step at a time. He's not the one that's beaten us. He's the one who's loving us. Here's the question that kind of ties everything together. Who, who do you trust? For Peter, that question was, do you trust what your eyes can see or Jesus? Do you trust what your mind knows is true? You're a fisherman. You understand people can't walk on water. You understand the elements of the sea. You understand that people drown. Do you trust what your mind can grasp? Or you, do you trust Jesus? I think the question for Peter was, do you trust yourself? Or do you, do you trust me? For us, we face that same question. Who do you trust? Do you trust your employer, your job, your status, your position? Or do you trust Jesus? Do you trust in the stuff that you have, in your home, in your car, in your ability to, to control your circumstances? Or do you trust Jesus? Do you trust in your education, your ability to figure things out, your ability to find a solution to your problems? Or do you trust Jesus? Think back to when you were in high school, and, and it's, it's multiplied now. If you've got a kid in high school, there is this sense of urgency. You've got to get good grades. You've got to be involved in extracurricular activities, a lot of them. You've got to be involved in service opportunities because if you don't, you'll never get into college. You'll never get into a good college. You'll never meet the person that you're supposed to marry. Your life is going to be a mess. You know, you'll end up living down by the river in a van. Um, uh, <laughs> and the question is, do you trust a college entrance official or Jesus? There's a whole bunch of medical application. You know, if, if a person's married and they're trying to have a baby, where does the conversation go? The, you know, you go to a fertility doctor, you go through the process of, of keeping track of cycles and temperatures and all that stuff. You do in vitro. And the question is, who do you trust? Do you trust the docs and the technology? Or do you trust Jesus? understand the challenge is for us to trust Jesus which doesn't mean that we don't see the docs we don't do the technology we don't get the good grades we don't um, not do the service stuff and all that who do you trust is the core question if you're thinking about retirement you study everything that you can you go to seminars you read books you get a financial planner, you study the market, you do projections, you do all of that stuff. And the question is, who do you trust? Do you trust your strategy, your planning, or Jesus? That doesn't mean that you don't plan for the future, but the question is, who do you trust? Take a look up on, on screen.
Where the rubber meets the road in today's message is that question. Do you trust Jesus? Let me just say, if you're here and you've never taken the step to say yes to Jesus for the first time, to say, yeah, I trust you to forgive all my junk in the past. I trust you to give me a new life. I trust you to wipe away all of this stuff. Let me just encourage you, today's the day to do that. Take that step. If you're a follower of Jesus, um, I think that there's probably stuff going on in your head where you're thinking, I can maybe trust him to fall backwards, ah, but I don't know if it's the forward fall deal. We're going to sing. And I just want to invite you to come to the front to pray to talk to him and say, God, help me to trust you. The cool thing is that when we say, you know what, I, I don't think I do trust, we have the ability to say, Lord, save me. And he will. We have the ability to say, God, help my faith increase. And he will. We're going to sing. Let's stand together. If you want to come down front and pray, uh, that would be cool. If you want to stay where you are and pray, do you trust him?